Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of This Black Bear Has 28 Minutes, a Kootenai Arts and Culture podcast. This podcast is brought to you by an amazing team from the Selkirk College Creative Writing Program, alongside more amazing collaborators from across the Kootenays. I'm Claire. And I'm Jen, and we will be your host today. If you're looking for ways to connect and get inspired in the Kootenays and beyond, look no further. Each episode features interviews, readings, reflections, and more. Today, we have a special edition with guests from Eastern Washington University in Spokane, Washington. That's great, Claire. Those folks from across the border are actually our close pals of ours. The MFA students from the university bless us each year by coming up and putting an event on for us called a stone's throw, which of course is aptly names, is named as they actually are literally a stone's throw away from us. That's right. They were just here about a month ago, honoring us with some workshops and readings. It was awesome. Now today on our podcast, we have captured some of this for all of you. Yes, indeed, Claire. In today's episode, we will hear from Forrest, Morgan, Connor, and Anastasia, all students at Eastern Washington University's MFA program. Our first portion of today's podcast is our piece hosted by Kendra, entitled Conversations with Writers. Let's have a listen at what Kendra's question today is for our guests. I'm sure you will enjoy this. Hey, Black Bears. This is Kendra in Conversations with Writers. And today we're here with four MFA students from the Creative Writing Program at Eastern Washington University in Spokane, Washington. We're going to talk to Morgan first. And our question today is, what is it like being a writer in America right now? Um, so it's, it's interesting because it's a time where there's this huge divide between older generations and younger generations, including you know, older writers and millennial and Gen Z writers. And because um, there's this whole like mentality of a you versus me thing and decades have, or people have been against each other or, for decades. And um, every generation is different, but I think we're particularly polarizing now because of this mentality that like keeps growing, which there's plenty of reasons for that, but uh, we don't have time for that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's like a very broad question, but. So, but, (laughs) (laughs) so like as a person um, and there's this this, um, resistance and like accepted ignorance um, for like, Cause like writers now are writing more, like there's more social, political and marginalized views like in writing, like they always exist. Yeah. But if you think about, you know, the like, thing, it's white, cis, straight men. And more like mainstream writing. Yeah, yeah. sure. And um, so like, like I said, all marginalized groups are like dealing with this. And um, I think that's silly because if you think about it, you know, we've all, like anyone that's taken an English class, anyone that went to school has like had to read um, stuff from the canon and stuff from that perspective. Like we all took the time to understand that perspective. And it's like, why can't certain people do the same for you? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We put in our time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, 
And then on the other end, like, so if you're, you know, a gay person or a trans person or whoever, um, I feel like your writing is put into that category. Like this is queer writing. This is mm-hmm. XYZ's culture's writing. And it's like, I do want my, that is going to show through in my writing. And I want that to be prominent and everything, but also it's like, then it's put in a box and yeah. or I'm more and everyone is more than, you know, just one thing. So yeah, it's not your responsibility to be like the spokesperson for that particular label. Totally so to speak. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be times, but being labeled as anything like a ex writer and ex, that's, you know, part of something from your identity can be cool and also not cool. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, there's the highs and lows, I guess. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks Morgan. Um, I think that that's really interesting to think about. And we'll go with uh, Forrest next, if you could answer our question. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Kind of jumping off of what Morgan was talking about, I think right now, especially in American writing, there is so many voices that have not been heard historically that are expressing uh, a large amount of pain and they want their pain to be heard as well as understood as writers who are recognized by some in some way by the academy or academic system i think we have a responsibility to those voices to bolster them where we can to interact with them in a way that is not talking over them My, my favorite phrase in regards to this is the, the disenfranchised require not interpretation, but amplification. So with our space in within writing and within the official system, we have the capability to show these voices to others to build alongside them and hopefully build a stronger writing community within it, even while recognizing in some ways our own complicitness in uh, their voicelessness. Um, Like on a personal note, I feel a responsibility to acknowledge in my work the ways in which I or people like me or people who look like me have been complicit or complacent in their voicelessness and in their experience of pain. Uh, I think that's basically where we need to be moving in order to push the community forward and not take too much for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I really like that sentiment. It's important to be like a, uh, you know, a help tool as best as we can. Well, thanks so much, Forrest. Um, We will hear from Anastasia next. Hi. Um, Hi. I think I think being a writer in America today is all about um, giving and creating a safe space for all voices to be heard. Um, kind of similar to what Forrest and Morgan were kind of 
talking about, right? Um, if we, it's something that we're all have a part, that we all have a part in doing. Um, and okay. if you sit back and just watch and not work towards that goal, then you're a part of the problem, right? So yeah, um, yeah, exactly. I think that's what being a writer in America is today, like making sure that you're just conscious about that and that all voices are being heard. Um, yeah, active, an active writer rather than like passive in regards to that. Yes, yes, very active. <laughs> Thank you, Anastasia. Uh, and we'll hear from Connor next. Hey, Connor. Honestly, I'm, <clears throat> I'm a bit unsure what to add after all the questions have been answered. Um, but my mind spurs to uh, different points in history where we can kind of find some resemblance of this ideological pattern mm -hmm. in, in regards to art, art has always been the bastion of um, just humanity and humanity's expression. So naturally this upwelling of, a, of what is called a new type of expression, again, big, big quotes on that one, will be something that hasn't been grappled with by the arts before. Right. Yeah. So this is always going to be no matter what period, if we look at like surrealism or Dadaism around World War One, it was a very shifty time to consider like what you're doing as an artist during this time. Yeah. Um, and so you had to ultimately intuitively uh, feel through, observe um, uh, where where you put your methods. Um, so I think a certain feeling of uncertainty or of trying to find a grasp in like this this shifting movement mm -hmm. um is is a natural feeling for anybody involved as a as a writer or as an artist nowadays yeah um, and so i think i think it's it, we can find some some resemblances in the past uh and um i think that you know while uh, I think ultimately, as years move on, we will uh, work out the kinks of how to like address more contentious issues properly, um, because we've all kind of figured it out together, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I kind of my mind goes to the more um, macro. I'm interested in the macro end of it and what this what this all looks like to us, given a decade, you know, and, and looking back at this time. Yeah. And um, I guess kind of jumping on that, um, I guess the uncertainty, et cetera, could be almost a catalyst, like to spur people to be, to try to be more creative, more, uh, I guess, out there in terms of, you know, because it's hard to write nowadays because sometimes you're like, uh, everything has already been written. <laughs> I have nothing to say. Okay, well, thank you, Forrest, and the rest of you. Wait, I... can I add something? I was yeah, going to say, sure. I wanted to my answer with something positive, but I forgot. <laughs> I wanted to say kind of, but what you guys were talking about, um, you saying like it was a catalyst, like um, that reminded me that although I'm not happy about things that are going on and it's scary and awful and et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. what a time for art. Like if you look back. Yeah. <laughs> Like historically, that's when 
you know, it went down. So <laughs> exactly. I think I have one more thing to add too. Um, I think it's a very strange thing when it comes to the role of the artist in time. As I was trying to think about this question, oftentimes we look back and find writers that are way ahead of their time. And then we often yeah. find writers that are utterly steeped in that time, the way they talk, what they're mentioning. And so I'm wondering like at what point, and this kind of gives the whole conversation a watershed, but at what role writers have played with actual what's going on in society, um, whether they're you know generations ahead of their time, whether they're really steeped in their time or whether they're more reticent of the past, right? Um, mm -hmm. There seems to be a big diversity when it comes to why an individual pursues, um, I don't know, just meandering. <laughs> I think it's good meandering. There's some, there's some good stuff in that. Uh, okay. Thanks, Connor. And thanks to the rest of you for answering this, you know, rather difficult question and I'm sure we could talk for a long a lot longer on it but uh that's it for conversations with writers today thanks everyone wow Claire that was a great peek into these brave souls so willing to share their experience of being a writer in America today with so much going on, politically and otherwise, there's a lot to inform and inspire, that's for sure. Yes, Jen, I totally agree with you. Our last segment of today's podcast is our four guests blessing us with some of their works read aloud. Brace yourself, this is powerful. Hey, it's Dr. Jen Black Bears, and thank you so much again for joining us. I am super excited. We have from Eastern Washington University, the creative writing program, we have four MFA students who are boldly gonna share some of their work with us. I know that you'll enjoy it. I've heard them previously and they are amazing. First, we are going to start with Forrest. So please Forrest, go ahead and lead us on. Hi, thank you so much for, for having us here. Uh, I will issue a slight content warning on this poem here. Uh, it mentions uh, death as well as violence towards women and children, but not graphically. The poem is called Meat. The new midlife crisis isn't a sports car, but a smoker. They can also barbecue, of course, so the modern man can imagine what it must have been like to burn a woman at the stake. Hot and high for a good sear, crisping the flesh so the victim bleeds out in one last forced act of openness. Low and slow for that long, painful breathing in of smoke, raspy, desperate screams not unlike the whistle of the kettle. Wisps of smoke wind their way around the flame into mouths and eyes. The old superstition says to chant, rabbits, rabbits, rabbits. If it doesn't work, at least it's a distraction. 
Grill marks are a sign of mastery. On a sausage, they appear like lashes, perfect strikes across the diagonal, perfect scars along the back. Occasionally, one of the lash marks will open, revealing a pinker flesh inside the casing. This is a mistake. It ruins the illusion of control. A perfect bruise has that nice, dark color, but blood is a reminder of life. Burgers bleed into the pit of charcoal. A spatula squeezes the liquid out until the meat is about to crumble. The liquid isn't blood, no matter how quickly it accumulates. Pink fluid pools on paper plates. The pork shoulder is pricey, but worth the money. A man spends a long morning outside as the smell of applewood fills the backyard and soon the neighborhood. Once everyone gathered for the entertainment of an execution, a hanging in the square, a burning in the plaza, a beheading at la place de la revolution, snacks for sale, folks standing around for hours to see the light leave a human's eyes. How disappointing it must have been to see the face still blinking minutes after. How satisfying it is to say instead, the meat just falls off the bone and call it tenderness. Charles-Henri Sanson leads Marie-Antoinette to the guillotine. One of her tiny feet steps softly on his shoe. Does she sense a sudden anger, or the same anger as always, the same heat burning underneath the skin of every man who ever saw her just as flesh? She says, Pardonnez-moi, monsieur, je ne l'ai pas fait What is it that she doesn't mean to do? The soul of barbecue is smoke and heat. The outside of the meat, the bark, transfers the warmth inside. Slowly, everything comes up to temp. Like a church packed with bodies, the heat rises, always rises. But the ceiling is a trap, a hood to retain the heat, a fever, a drought, a calloused pair of burning feet on a concrete slab so hot it tears off bits of flesh with every step. What does Gilles Doret see in the young Géandard? She looks a little boyish when she wears men's clothes. Is that why he clings to her like smoke? She is neither fully man nor woman, but a bit of both. A threat surrounded by threats, a breath surrounded by throats. When she burns, they keep the fire low. Her pristine lungs turn black. She chants, Jésus, Jésus, Jésus. Perhaps she doesn't know about the rabbits. Drey loses something with her death, something he can only try to fill with young boys strung up to the wall like curing meat. He finds no cure in this, only more desires. He keeps searching, searching. Something is still incomplete. The paper-wrapped steak in the bottom of the chest freezer finds its way onto the grill eventually. Someone finds it buried beneath the others in the dark where each package looks the same. It would be a shame to waste it, a man might say as he slaps it on the grill. The smoke imbues the meat with a magnificent flavor. The pink myoglobin, not blood, escapes from the corners of his mouth as he eats. Inside the house, a kettle whistles. The sound is intoxicating. Carefully, he eats around the gristle. Thank you for that powerful reading of your work, Forrest. Much appreciated. Next, we will hear a reading from Morgan. All right, this is a little story called Slug. 
The droplets from the hole at the tip of my tent touch my middle where it is exposed. The blankets are wet, the air is wet, the sun rises and the heat refuses to be ignored. I went to bed two hours ago. The combination of my own sluggish tendencies and lack of sleep moved me to just halfway out of the tent. I dropped my simmering pillow on the dewy grass, then dropped my head. I don't care about consequences. The sun rises further and I won't have it any longer. My friends are already sitting at our fold-up table and chairs. You bring to bonfires or your little brother's soccer game and they're all taken. Slugs don't bring chairs. I grab a towel that I won't shower with and place it on the ground between two people that are very much not slugs. I lie down on my shoulder blades and let the sun burn me a little more. I close my eyes in defeat. Minutes later, I'm woken up by three cold droplets. It's so cold, it freezes the spot on my forehead that it touched, it hurts, but only for a moment. The rest of me breathes relief. A shiver that soothes spreads to my fingertips and toes. I look up and Anna is sitting in the chair beside me. She's holding the ice cube deliberately in her palm facing the Tennessee sun. So it melts through her fingers and onto her slug. Feels good, doesn't it, she says. My eyes close again and she knows it does. Thank you, Morgan. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you for reading your work. We really appreciate it. All right, now we have Connor. Okay. A treatise on sound. There's a lot of chattering in here. Adam is slamming them down, making his body a bubbling cauldron of disparaging bruise. Gabe is quiet, has that disassociative glare over his doughy eyes. And Maya is hanging on his shoulder like he's a raft. I'm here and not caught in the in-between, hearing their chatter while hearing my own. The walls, I can see their heat, an airy undulation like a mirage off a car's hood on a smoldering summer day. I'm undecided whether I've given way to madness or reality has something different to say. Their feet scuffling across the floor, the flies wobbling through the air, drunk. Adam is doing well at keeping up with the muttering bar owner. Maya is looking for a cigarette. She's biting at her lips. And Gabe, Gabe has vanished. I don't hear anyone mention him. All in all, this isn't a dissimilar occasion. It's a place in a town on a Thursday night where fry cooks make inappropriate remarks while they thoughtlessly churn out culinary delights, where bartenders bicker about their section and who's, who takes the patron that they know doesn't pay shit. The people, the many, many people, the many, many people that are all exceptions yet constitute its mass. And I feel affixed. I can't look away. Then the lights seem to flicker, a flash, but I don't see anyone react. A high charge seemed to sear through all this cacophonous air, but I can't decide whether this was my mind or the lights themselves, the wiring maybe, and everyone was too caught up to notice. I choke down the rest of my beer in fear that I've stayed too long. Perhaps I ought to meet the alleyway once again. Some silence sounds proper. 
So I peel my eyes off the happenstance, slap the proper papers and cylindrical metals on the laminate wood. The sound of the silver spilling sends me into a shiver. I yammer the niceties and stammer out the door. The voiceless air kindly meeting me at first step, a cool sigh, an escape from octanes high treasured. My clopping feet down the alleyway up across the bridge and I see Gabe naked on the shore. He looks back at me, somehow knowing I'm there, his eyes engorged with ecstasy. He's pasty and bulbous, yet shines beautifully pearlescent. He opens his arms wide, walks in waist high, and stands as reality is frozen for an immeasurable moment. A sound bellows from the east. He perks up and assuredly slides into the sea like an otter, gone from sight. I await, but there's nothing. He's vanished into liquid night. I'll see him tomorrow, and we won't talk about this. No chatter. Wow, thank you, Connor, so much for sharing your art with us. Very honored, very honored. And last, but certainly not least, we are now gonna hear from Anastasia. My poem's entitled, Explaining Different Types of Love to My Future Child. You know when you get a popcorn kernel stuck between your teeth, how it doesn't really hurt, but it's annoying, constantly reminding you it's there. And no matter how hard you try to pick your gums with floss, it somehow finds a way to make a home out of your mouth, as if that's where it was made to be. Until, when you least expect it, you realize the kernel is no longer there, and in your gums where it used to live, there is just a raw, dull ache of extra space. Well, love is like that sometimes. Anastasia, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. And thank you, all four of you, MFA students from the Creative Writing Program at Eastern Washington University. It's been an absolute pleasure having you guests as guests on This Black Bear Has 28 Minutes. And that is going to be all for now, folks. An enormous thank you to everybody who contributed to our episode today. If you liked what you heard, you can find a lot of the work on our website, blackbearreview.ca. And an extra special thanks to Cass Haskins, our podcast producer, who again has turned our recordings into something great for our listeners. And thanks as well to everyone who helped out in the producing of this episode, especially Kendra and, of course, the Eastern Washington University MFA students, Connor, Anastasia, Morgan, and Forrest. And your host today, myself, Jen, and Claire. And of course, our fearless leaders, faculty advisors, Lisa Dean and Renee Harper. Is there a podcaster in you? If you would like to read your own work or submit something to our podcast, please do. You can send your pieces via email to theblackbearreview at gmail.com. That's blackbearreview at gmail.com all one word with the subject line podcast guest submission. Absolutely. Thanks, Claire. And again, don't forget to check out our page, blackbearreview.ca, for all your Kootenai 
poetry, fiction, nonfiction, and art needs. And please follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. And of course, join us again next episode for more amazing conversations and performances. We're so excited to continue to provide inspiration and artistic expression from regular people like you and I. (laughs) Goodbye for now, everybody. Just remember, be kind, be resilient, and never, ever stop being creative. And feel free to be brave and join us with your work. This feeling